Good afternoon and welcome to Strategies for Pursuing a Comprehensive Application Rationalization Approach, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by ROI Healthcare Solutions. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You could send your questions or comments in at any time in the Q&A box and we will take them later in the program. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to go about 35 to 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Chuck Podesta, CIO at Renown Health, Matt Everhart, Associate CIO for Applications with Denver Health, and Jeff Tennant, EVP, Healthcare IT Strategy and Services with ROI Healthcare Solutions. And then we will have our Q&A. So let's jump right in. This is a very hot topic for a number of reasons. So I think it's going to be a great discussion. Chuck, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Sure. Uh, thank you, Anthony. Thanks, everyone, for, for attending out of your busy day. So uh, hopefully this will be helpful to you. Uh, first thing off, I got to change my picture, Anthony. I, I don't look <laughs> anything like that anymore. I uh, Just so everybody knows, I, I'm a CIO for Renown Health. We're in uh, northern Nevada, based in Reno. And um I'm doing the Nevada thing. You can probably see the mustache. I got the outfit to go with it uh, as well. And um, I'm, I'm big on, you know, when in Rome, that old saying. Uh, and uh, so even though I'm from New England, Boston, originally, um, uh, I'm doing the Nevada thing now. So I've been here almost two years. Uh, we're, in, uh, we're the only integrated delivery system uh, in uh, Nevada, uh, serving northern Nevada, uh, we do have a, a big affiliation with the uh, University of Nevada Reno Medical School. Um, so we're rapidly kind of morphing into an academic medical center at this point. So it's starting to do research, things like that. So happy to be here, Anthony. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, thank you, Chuck. Uh, Matt. Yeah, hi, I'm Matt Everhart. I'm the ACIO for applications at Denver Health. Uh, we're the safety net for the city and county of Denver. We're also an integrated delivery system. And, um, you know, we have a hospital, outpatient clinics, nurse line, poison center, urgent care, emergency departments, level one trauma center. Um, been here in various forms and factors over the years for 16 and a half years. 16 and a half years. Very good. All right, Jeff. Yeah, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Jeff Tennant. I'm the executive vice president of healthcare services and strategy at ROI. ROI is a, is a consulting firm, a full-service consulting firm. We do you know, work across ERP, HIS services. We do implementation support, legacy support. We even provide long-term and short-term staffing as needed. Uh, ROI as a company was founded in the late 1990s and uh, was, was really built to help fill the, the need for uh, project management in, healthcare, in the healthcare space. Uh, so we, we were founded in that project management mindset have organically grown over the years, like I said, into the legacy support, staffing, and, and implementation support, both on the HIS and ERP side. I myself, uh, I'm a recovering CIO. Uh, okay. Currently, uh, you know, been with ROI here now for a little over five years, was a CIO back in the early 2000s, a hospital here in, in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Uh, happy to be on today and looking forward to some lively discussion. Uh, very good. Thank you, Jeff. All right, Chuck, we're going to start with you. Discuss the drivers for application rationalization, such as reducing expenses, increasing security, 
Reducing burden on third-party application vetting processes, and that's where I see um, it coming up a lot, is uh, there's such a burden now on health systems to vet these requests for applications that, um, you know, let's see if we can, if we're already using something and kind of not have to bring in another application. Improving support for remaining platforms because you've got less to support. And reducing technology uh, ecosystem complexity, and we hear that a lot from uh, just things breaking uh, when things are extremely complex, but also uh, there's a lot of security angles in all of this too. So Chuck, we'll start with you. What are your thoughts? Yeah, um, Anthony, you know, all the things that you listed uh, are, are drivers for most people for us here as well. This is actually a real passion of mine, along with cybersecurity, probably the top two things I focus on right now because I think they both, uh, from a cybersecurity standpoint and application rash, rationalization, they do, we call it app wrap, by the way, probably. App wrap, yeah. Yeah, we're in technology. We don't like to, to have long, multi-syllable words, you know. Yep. Uh, so we got to get it down to uh, single syllables. So we call it app wrap. And um, the, the interesting thing about it is, um, for Renown, when I got here, there, there's so many tentacles to this thing, whether it's security, whether it's expenses, but the driver uh, for us here was just based on uh, not having governance here. Uh, when I started, we did not have really a strong IT governance. People were buying whatever they um, wanted to buy. Uh, and that tends to be what I, when I talk to the CIOs, how it all starts. So it organically goes, all of a sudden you've got 300 apps, 400 apps, 500 apps, because you know your EHR, uh, doesn't solve the problem for the particular department. So they go out and buy something else and they plug it in. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't because it didn't go through governance. So then it sits on the shelf. Um, all of a sudden you end up in a renounced case. When I got here, we had 728 active, active, uh, active applications on our network, which for you know $1.6 billion organization spending almost $30 million a year on software maintenance. There's the, there's the problem, and uh, uh, and that's way too much. We should probably be somewhere in the $20 million range for software maintenance. So that kind of defines the, the problem for us. And then as you dive into it, you start finding all these other things like security. Um, so it starts off, I think, your first bullet's correct, reducing expenses. All of a sudden, you have $30 million, and it's like, wow, that's way too high. Let's figure out how to reduce that. Then you start finding out all these other things. Wow, okay, you get an application off the network. That, in, that helps uh, security, especially an old application. Uh, hasn't been upgraded, uh, depending on what it's running on. It's definitely a vector for the bad actors. Um, it's a, a third-party application. So um, what's the security on that? You know, There's a security piece to third-party apps as well. Uh, we see breaches on that all the time. You're running this on something. Maybe it's in the cloud, maybe it's on your uh, platform. So you're cycling through server, uh, your network's running it, um, all those types of this, uh, things from an ecosystem. So, so that there's, it's multifaceted, but the thing is that to, it's like anything else, realize that you have a problem first, right? And, and try to define that problem. Then there's many ways to attack it, which I'm sure we'll talk about. All right, perfect, Chuck. Yes, um, Matt, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, first of all, 
I agree with a lot of what Chuck said there. Um, a lot of the same drivers we have and what's on the, on the slide we're showing right now. I will say for us, expense is a big deal. Um, you know, and not just reducing the overall software cost, you know, the cost of the people to support the applications, our technical debt. Um, we also run into trying to keep our information safely where the organization wants it instead of people um, kind of grabbing things and putting information where it's maybe not as secure. As Chuck mentioned, you know, we are in kind of a new age where it's easier than ever for people to obtain software whether it's a phone app or a cloud-based thing. And so um, those usually create a pretty challenging burden for us when they're purchased already and then they want to integrate it. And making it safe after the fact is always a challenge for us. And so we continue to try to figure out how to manage that. Um, a lot of the smaller vendors, too, we tend to be an organization that uh, focuses on enterprise solutions. You know, we use a big suite. So we're looking at integration over best of breed specific functionality. As you get into the smaller vendors, you have maturity of software, which increases risk as well. Um, so it's a cadre of things for us, I think, that create a driver for trying to figure out what it is we're, tr you know, how we, how we keep the right balance. Um, I don't think we're quite at the number of applications that Chuck called out his organization, but we certainly, we tend to ebb and flow and creep up and come back down over a course of time. Do you feel like, Matt, that there's a number um, that you're comfortable with and a number you're not comfortable with? And you talk maybe ebbing and flowing between those two numbers and trying to keep coming down to that lower number? Um, you know, I'm less worried about the number because we can get too focused on number of applications and not focused on do we have the how much redundancy do we have on our software. So the number of applications running the same thing, right? Like everybody seems to be selling something that has a chat feature in it. Well, how many chat features do we need? And so trying to figure out cutting down those pieces. So it's, it's more around the like, how many versions of the same thing are we owning? Project management software being one of my favorite one of those. You know, everybody wants their own boutique project management tool. Um, and where do you draw that line on what you're willing to support? Very good. I know we're going to get more into to some of that soon. So thank you for that. Jeff? I think, you know, both uh, Chuck and Matt hit on the, the high points, you know, reducing expenses is obviously a big part of it. The key things that, that we focus in on that we've seen our clients really appreciate out of these types of engagements, you know, as, as Chuck mentioned, that security piece, right? So you may have a piece of software that's been on your servers for five, 10 years. Nobody's used it for three or four years. Nobody really knows what it does. And what are the odds that it's been patched and everything's been done the way it needed to be from a security perspective, right? So, so finding those things, not just getting the expense out, but getting that risk piece out is, is extremely important. And then, you know, I'll talk about this probably later as well, but when you talk about third-party application vetting process, I, I've encouraged my clients over the years to take the if not, why not approach, right? So if we have something in our core system that has this function, why would we not use it? Why would we add another a piece of software, you know, it's it's not that you're trying to limit what your clinicians and others can use to get their jobs done, but if you have that functionality, let's let's vet that thoroughly. And if you're not going to utilize that, then have a very good reason why you're going to go with a third-party application. So I think those are you know some really really strong areas, and as Chuck mentioned, governance around that is extremely important. Uh, the other thing is getting rid of data. 
right? So as you look at those systems, archiving data, you can you have to archive and get rid of the data you don't need. If you if you don't have to have it, get rid of it because if it's not there, it's not discoverable, right? So if you don't have to have it, get rid of it. Jeff, to, how prevalent do you think it is where people perhaps uh, start to do an analysis of all the apps they have and find, as you mentioned, I think that there are some there that, that we own and we're paying annual licensing for, fees mm-hmm. for that nobody's using. This nobody, no, <laughs> Nobody's yeah. using this. Nobody's touching I, this. I can't think of a client we've been to that hasn't had that happen, right? And, you, you know, it's usually not the big things. It's little things, but, you know, $5,000 here, $10,000 there. They start to add up as well as, you know, as we talked about a moment ago, just having that on your server running and not really knowing what it does and not knowing what, you know, how, how someone could possibly connect into it. So yeah, we've, we've not had a, a client yet that we didn't find something that, you know, someone in dietary bought 10 years ago and it's been running for the last 10 years and nobody's used it for five, right? Something like that. Yeah. yeah we, Anthony, we had, uh, you know, in our process, when we first started, that's your low hanging fruit, right? Stuff mm-hmm. that's just running that nobody's using. Uh, out of our 728, I've got a dashboard here on my other screen that I'm looking at. We had 70 that people were not using that were just spinning uh, on the system. And again, from a security standpoint, cost, um, you know, and every year as those um, maintenance agreements came up, we were just signing them, you know, and having them go through and nobody was using the system. So that was almost a million dollars right there just in those 70 applications. Amazing, right? Amazing. Someone's got to look, right? I guess if things just keep going along, people just keep signing it, and uh, and that's a problem. So low-hanging fruit, good way to put it. Um, all right, uh, Matt, let's start with you. Talk about your application rationalization journey. What has worked? What has been suboptimal? Have there been any things that you approaches you've tried that said, eh, this, this wasn't the way, but when we do it this way, this was effective? Any thoughts there? Um, you know, I probably have more lessons learned than wins on rationalization. I think it's hard to take software out of people's hands and block people from getting in. I, I will say, um, back to what Jeff was talking about with um, data retention is always a challenge for us. Um, you know, healthcare, we, we have to keep data for a period of time. And sometimes the effort to move something into a database to save it for a retention standpoint is more costly than keeping software around. And, you know, we, we kind of keep having to look at that, although that has been our strategy if we want to move off of some legacy software. Um, I also think, you know, my experience is applications, it's kind of like weeding a garden or, you know, you pull the weeds out and somehow you turn around in a few months and there's some more weeds in there and you got to go pull them again. So there is a con- constant maintenance to keeping up with managing your portfolio. Um, I think what has worked well for us is we do take a, you know, in theory, we take a why not try what we've got first approach um, to kind of keep things out. And generally speaking, that's been pretty successful. Sometimes there's an education component to whether or not we can we can continue to use the software or whether we can take it away. Um, a lot of things, though, it's like we have one feature of the software and so we're trying to move into a more roi based model with that you know like when, when you stack the software up against you know when you look at software by itself i should say right it looks really really valuable 
if you actually peel away everything that's redundant and just mm. look at what the difference between what is wanted and what is um, what is delivered in your other software, usually that margin is very small. And then what's the ROI on that actual gain? Because a lot of a lot of these systems, they all have a decent amount of overlap in their functionality. And so we've been really trying to focus on what's the actual difference maker. Um, and that seems to go a little bit better. I also think validating why people want their want software in the first place, um, understanding you know their business need and how you might want to solve it has been pretty successful for us. So it's not just the IT folks not wanting to add software or wanting to take their software away. Very good. Very good, Matt. Chuck, your thoughts? Yeah, so, you know, first, you, you have to stop the bleeding. And so I'll just use our experience here. You know, if you don't have governance in place, it doesn't matter what you do on APRAT. You, you, these, they're going to come in the door faster than you can get rid of them. So we use an SBAR approach here, uh, that situation background assessment and uh, recommendation. The recommendation has to have an ROI. Uh, it also, the finance has to approve. It also goes to our senior leadership now. That, that's our IT governance. I don't have an, a separate IT governance committee. Our senior leadership gets together on a weekly basis. So uh, we put these SBARs on the agenda and they're either approved or not approved. So we know what's coming in the door. Uh, we know it's valuable. We, we also know that there's not another application that does the uh, what this application is trying to do. I think that was mentioned earlier by Jeff and Matt. So we stopped the bleeding on that as well uh, because you get a lot of like applications instead of using like, in our case, it's Epic. Could Epic do it? Maybe 90% of what you're looking for. That's all part of the SBAR process and, and the analysis. You got to get past all that to get it approved. Once you have that in place, now what, what we did is we built a team uh, led by our, and some people in our applications area. You got to have supply chain, you got to have finance, right? And um, and then you've got to figure out your inventory. You know, where are all these applications? And then the, the most, the hardest part in some of this area is who's the owner? Who is the owner of this app? Um, because that's the person you need to get to when you start looking at these apps to see who's using it, anybody using it. Uh, and that that's a, that's a long process. But you've got to start, you've got to know what's in the basement before you can clean it out and what you're going to keep and what you're going to, uh, what you're going to throw out, right? Once you have that in place, now you can start to work with the operation side, uh, give them lists of, you know, and, and they have to really justify who's using them, why they're using it. Is there one user using it, two users? Can Epic do it or can some other system do it? We start to go through that process. So our numbers are, you know, we started at 728. We're a year later and we're at 628. Uh, and so we're hundred down. Now, that's, I mentioned low hanging fruit. We're starting to run out of that now. Okay. So, um, but with the owners out there and the operational owners, now we've got like applications that was mentioned earlier. We've got a bunch of different patient education apps, right? Well, come on, let's, can we pick one? Uh, we've got temperature control systems. We've got five of those uh, that monitor different temperature control refrigerators, things like that. Maybe we need two. Uh, we're not saying we don't need more than one that does a function, but let's not have eight credentialing systems, which we have here, eight, all right? And so we know the owners of those areas. So that's the process we're in right now, by the way, it's doing those lights and getting those down. Now, the biggest <laughs> challenge we ran into, and I'll just throw this out, is getting operations involved. 
they view this as IT, right? And sometimes when you send stuff out, they look at it as like, oh my God, one more thing IT wants me to do. They don't really understand why we're doing it. So you got to do a lot of education around the operations group because they got to understand is when we take a million dollars out of our budget in IT, that gets spread across all the organizations. So that's savings for everybody, not just for IT, right? So there's a lot of education uh, on that. We're actually up um, our savings this year, just uh, six months in, we're about two and a half million dollars. So we're, we're well on our way. And our operations team, they're very actually excited about it now because they see when we cut and we save, of course, we have the uh, security issues as well that we're, that we're alleviating, that they get the benefit of it in their budget uh, coming back to them as well. So in a nutshell, that's where we are. But it's a challenge, Chuck. It's a challenge to get the operational operations people involved in this discussion even though they may ultimately be losing their favorite app as a result if you have yep. five you're trying like you said five credentialing systems whatever it is uh okay we're gonna we're gonna whittle this down so if you if you're not gonna participate in this discussion there's a good chance that what you're currently using is gonna go away and we're gonna standardize on something someone else picked All right and so you need strong senior leadership in those areas to go to their teams. It, it can't be IT and finance and supply chain going to them. It has to be their senior leader going to them and saying, this, this is serious. We we don't need five of whatever, and we're going to pick two, and you're going to work on this with IT. And, you know, again, you need that strong leadership at the top to help you do this. Uh, it was tried here I, I, back in, like, 2019. I saw some old presentations process looked great the same process we're following today but they could not get operations buy-in and it just stopped it died so when i got here we reinvigorated it and uh got senior leaders involved in this to push it down through the organizations that's the only way otherwise it's looked at as it finance you know and as a as opposed to an organization initiative and Jeff, Jeff, the way I assume it, the trouble is just being ignored. Is that right? If you don't have the support yeah. from up top and you're a CIO or an IT leader trying to move right. this forward and operations says, we're busy. I got lots of stuff to do. I don't care, right, about your little app and whatever you're talking about. And you just get ignored, essentially, correct? Yeah, we, we've seen that. And that's one of the areas that, you know, if you think about engaging an organization like RI to assist you in this, it's, it's another authority coming in, not that we know more about this than the CIO and the rest of the IT team, but when we make a recommendation to the data retention committee, let's say, it's not IT doing it, it's an outside authority coming in and saying, you know, you can keep this, but you don't have to, and we should probably get rid of this because of X, Y, and Z. So when you look at it from that aspect, we've had a lot of our CIO clients <clears throat> speak to that, that, you know, just having that that third party come in and say, you know, this is the best thing to do for the organization. Or as, as you were talking, Chuck, when you're, when you're looking at vetting different applications against each other, you know, picking the one that does 95% of what everyone needs and then figuring out how to get the, get the rest of the way there through education training or whatever else. And, and so having a, a, a scapegoat for lack of a better term, you know, and, and we in consulting tend to become scapegoats on occasion, but being that, that authority to come in and say, you know, Hey, this is what you need to do. And, and getting a little more attention from the operational leadership and whatever else, because, you know, IT, we're, 
we're a support organization, but we also are integral to the everyday, you know, day-to-day business of the organization as well. So it's, you know, it's important to kind of bridge that gap. And I think that's where we've seen our clients, you know, really, they feel like we really help them bridge that gap. And we bring lessons learned from other organizations as well, obviously. So a whole lot of stuff, Jeff, that, right. I mean, this is stuff people can use help with a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you, do you, do you uh, consult on governance processes as well? So you say, listen, my governance is broken. We have too many apps. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what we have. Help me figure out how many apps we have that top number that Chuck, Chuck, to help me figure out how many we have, help me figure out where there's redundancy, help me figure out which ones we should standardize on, help me figure out how to talk to our operations people and ultimately bring this through to the point that we're decommissioning things, moving Mm -hmm. data or deleting, like help me clean this up. Right. No, I think that uh, definitely, I mean, that's a big part of what we bring to the table is our governance. We also, you know, we work with the organization. So the CIO doesn't have to make these decisions, right? And I know a lot of CIOs out there that made a career of not ever making a decision, but making <laughs> sure the right decisions are made, right? Because you get your governance team, you, you steer them in the direction you want them to go, <clears throat> but ultimately they're part of the decision, right? So you make sure they feel like you're doing this with them and for them and not to them. So it's, you know, it's really a part of, of getting that involvement, getting that engagement. That's just another thing we tend to bring to these engagements is, that, you know, here's what needs to be part of this governance. Here's the committees that need to be making these decisions. And then let's, let's help them make the right decisions based on the data and the information that we can pull together. Right. All right. Very good. Next question. Um, Jeff, we're going to stick with you here. Users want the app that they think will serve their needs. You know, that's that Mm -hmm. best of breed, right? This is the one I want. It's, I love it. It does this and that. And the salespeople were really nice. If (laughs) maybe they got, sold um but anyway they maybe this is absolutely the best thing for them but it may not be the best for the organization um how can those discussions best be handled and what policies can be put in place ahead of time so that people know you know here's our priorities as an organization here's how we go about these things so here's how you want to look where you want to look first or things like that right yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of this, you know, the preparation for this goes back to building out that governance, right? So back when I was a CIO, you know, we had our, our governance committees, but then we also had an IT steering committee. And, and in that, I had some, some of the longstanding physicians in the organization, some of the younger physicians in the organization, uh, nursing leadership, and, and, you know, representation from dietary and, and all the other areas. And they would then be responsible for helping vet uh, technology that was being brought to the table. So, you know, when we look at third-party applications, uh, you know, we just have a, a lunch meeting once a month with with all these folks. And, you know, I would have things that have been brought to me as, you know, here's, here's a suggestion. And we'd talk through it. We'd work through it. Uh, physician leadership may take it back to their committees and discuss it and see, you know, the real reason why. But it is a lot about having that governance in place having the committees and, and having the, the correct buy-in, right? So you, you can't ignore your physicians. They, they've got to be part of the process. It's extremely important that they feel like they're engaged, um, but still you as the authority in the IT department need to guide that, that decision-making process and, and really work to get them to make the decisions that you would like for them to make uh, anyway, or have them be able to convince you why the decision they feel needs to be made 
is is better than the one you would you would have thought. So I think you know again governance and, and committees and, and making sure that people are part of the decision making process, uh, both for getting rid of old things and, and bringing in new things, is is extremely important. And and then you know again they can't just point at the CIO and say, well he made us get rid of this and now we have this struggle in patient care, right? They've talked through it, they've worked with you, and and this is what's happened. So. Uh, you know, and hopefully you, you would never impact patient care. That's an extreme example. But, you know, we, we want to make sure that those who are utilizing the systems, those who are internal customers are part of the decision-making process. Very good. Chuck, you know, you mentioned um, senior leadership support uh, as being key to getting the operational folks to buy in and, and cooperate. Um, is that is that essentially the CEO? Like the, it's got to come down from that level that this is a priority. That as the business is so the business is behind this agenda. It's going to be facilitated by Chuck and the IT team. So when they reach out to you, this is something I'm telling you. This is a business objective. This is not an IT thing. Is that what you need? the CEO or the COO or the CFO to lay out there to the organization uh, before you get started. And I think you shook your head, no CFO. So CEO <laughs> and COO, um, does, does that what you need for, for a project like this to be successful? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it starts with the CEO. Uh, like I said, our senior leaders get together on a regular basis every week. Uh, and, um, you know, I, we're held accountable to certain metrics, right? So, you know, when I started here, we were 6.5% of total OPEX, spending way, way too much money uh, for an IT organization for this side. You know, in, in healthcare, you should be around 4%, somewhere around there, So, which we are at today. Part of my uh, initiative to get down to 4% was APRAP. And so I'm presenting that to finance and to, you know, to the senior leaders. And then my ask is to get this, to get down to 4%, right, which saves all of us money because that, that goes to the bottom line of the organization. You know, if I save $10 million in IT. So once they understand that, the uh, you know, the CEO is going to be, hey, yeah, we need to do this. We need to help Chuck. What do you need from us? Mm -hmm. And I come back with the program. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. Um, just to get to Jeff's point, you know, we, we don't really use an IT steering committee. I think those are out of vogue now. Um, because these are operational decisions, not IT decisions. And yeah, you can have you can have physicians and things like that as part of the vetting process. That's that's part of that SBAR process. But you have to have an operational owner. So there is not an application that does that doesn't come to our group with an SBAR uh, that that the operational owner is there presenting, right? Or the senior leader that operational owner reports to is presenting. Right. And that's typically the case. So and we're there from an IT perspective because we we have the input on on the IT side and finances there from the ROI perspective. Uh, but the the operational owner uh, does the presentation, uh, not IT. And that's that's really where you need to get to. Um, you don't want these decisions by committees. Get the operational owner to come forward, tell you why Epic can't do it. And again, we will actually either disagree or agree. Typically, before it gets to our committee, we've worked all that out. The last thing we want to have to do is have disagreements, you know, at a senior level uh, from a, an approval process. You want that to already be vetted at lower levels and, and those things worked out. And they are uh, before they, they get to us. So, 
that's the approach that, that we take. Uh, Chuck, quick follow-up. I find this uh, really interesting about applications having to have owners. And we talked about how, Jeff, we mentioned you mentioned how you go into organizations and some of the low-hanging fruit, you're always going to find apps that are ownerless, that are not being used. And I'm guessing when you say, hey, who's the owner of this app? Those apps that are not being used, nobody's standing up and saying, oh, that's that's mine, right? So if you start off with the requirement that an app coming into the organization must have an owner, so it's going to have a name next to it, and it can never not have a name next to it, meaning if that person leaves or transfers or something, that ownership has to be transferred to another human being. And that way we never have an ownerless app and the chances that we have apps that are not being used are reduced. Does that make sense, Chuck? That, that, that is totally, you're spot on. Uh, you know, when we did our inventory, of course, some of these applications about years ago, we found a lot with no owners. And that, that makes it very difficult, right? When you do it, when you're, you know, three years from now, there's going to be some apps we want to get rid of. And having the owner there is going to make that so much easier uh, to have that conversation with. When you don't have the owners, it makes it very difficult. I mean, you're, one of the options is you shut the thing off and see who calls the help, right? right? But, you know, yeah. I mean, do you really want to do that? Uh, you know, then you maybe impact patient care or something like that. So, yeah, it's, it's very important to have a, the owners, not IT. They, we don't use the system. We're not using the credentialing system. Med staff office is using the credentialing system. So they own it. That's, that's the way it should be. Matt, your thoughts? You know, I'm just going to agree. I think with ownership, you know, there's a big difference between the name on the list of applications and the actual mantra of owning something. And so I think, you know, one area is making sure people understand what the responsibility of ownership on that list is. Because I think there's times where we have a name listed, but they don't really feel an accountability for that ownership. And I do think that's an area um, that we could, that we could see some gains. Um, additionally, I think, you know, when a user is asking for software, we try to lean into, we use lean at Denver Health, um, you know, lean into your process optimization solution du jour, whatever it is at your organization, and try to ground people back to, well, why do we do things and how do we make decisions, try to leverage that. Um, additionally, I think, we have, I think, good understanding at the executive level of their objectives. Having that percolate down to kind of the next layer, director level people who's going to be doing a lot of the, like, in the in the trenches discussion, if you will, on whether or not we need software is key and making sure that layer of people is aligned could be a challenge because that gets to be a lot more people in a larger organization. Um, but I think those are the areas where, you know, we always try to push the systems thinking piece of that when you have an owner and make sure they understand, you know, we are healthcare IT 15 years ago, right? It was all standalone applications and there weren't as many enterprise suites and departments were structured as individual departments that kind of ran their own business. And so still moving, you know, integrated system means integrated software too. And that means compromise and that doesn't always happen the way you would want it to, and that's getting everybody on the same page back to the ownership piece that Chuck and Jeff both mentioned. All right. Very good. Uh, I am going to take an audience question here. Uh, there we go. 
Okay, how did you go about finding the apps not in the IS inventory? Any automated tools used for discovery? Um, let's try and stay away from any specific vendor names, but um, how did you go about finding the apps not in the IS inventory, Chuck? Uh, we did a survey of a couple of ways. We did first. We did a survey with all the all the operations areas. Just you know, what do you use um, on a daily basis? And and try to match that up. But also, um, we have tools. There's there's tools out there that you can um, that can run on your network. That can look at uh, what's uh, attached to the network, uh, and you know, kind of backtrack it from that standpoint. Uh, to figure out what that application is. Also, we with supply chain, I mentioned the team that we had finance and supply chain. You've got all these contracts out there, right? They're active. Uh, so uh, you go through all those maintenance contracts. Supply chain helps you with that. Maybe start with the highest dollar amount, go down to the lowest dollar amount, and you'll find some there. And you'll be like, wow, what is this? <laughs> we're, paying, we're only paying, you know, $5,000 a year, but what is it? And then you, you know, you start, you have to sleuth your way around the organization to find out what it does. Maybe you even have to contact the vendor. Um, you know, we've done all of that kind of work. And that's where that, that team I talked about with IT and supply chain and finance can do a lot of that work and then supplement it with some technology on your network. Matt, any thoughts? Yeah, you know, I think Chuck nailed it. I say, you know, when when it's time to renew, when vendors want to be paid, oftentimes people buy stuff initially, and then when it comes time to renew and additional year payments, um, and I saw a question in the chat related to grant funding, same thing. Initial purchases sometimes still get through, but you find things on renewals, and you know, oh, it's time for this invoice to be paid. So we do catch a bunch of stuff that way. Jeff, anything else there? You know, I think you know they've hit on a lot of it, and you're right. Chuck, the uh, you know supply chain side and looking at those those contracts, you know software vendors are very very good at building in those three year evergreens or things like that, right? So all of a sudden it's due and you miss the window to cancel it, and either you have to go to bat and and really fight with them to get out of it early, or just pay the next three years and make sure you mark it on your calendar to to cancel before you know before the next evergreen opportunity. So. Um, I think that I think that is really important, especially for finding the things that nobody's using and, and comparing that to your your service logs out of your help desk ticket system. Right. I mean, if you have something that help desk hasn't touched in a year or longer, chances are not very many people are using it. Right. Or, or no one's using it. And and then, yes, there are tools. We leverage certain tools in our engagements that can go out and look for, you know, things that are out there that, that nobody really knows about or even even look for equipment that's not being used or something like that, that just, you know, you have a, a PC in an office somewhere that nobody's been in for a year, things like that. And maybe you can repurpose that or, or something like that. So, so there's definitely tools out there, but it's also, it's a lot of hard work just digging through lists and numbers and, and figuring it out. Jeff, let me, let me stick with you. Um, one of the biggest issues is going to be ultimately when you have five, six applications doing the same thing, mm -hmm. um, deciding on that one or two or whatever the case may be, what's your best advice for the CIOs out there who want to help uh, move this process forward, but are not ultimately going to be responsible for making the decision of which, which one is chosen. What's the best way to navigate that? It's collaboration, you know, relationship, make sure, you know, not just me with the my senior leadership team, but 
all levels of my organization having relationships with their levels, VP to VP, director to director within those areas. And again, we have this team that goes in and we'll work collaboratively with them and, and take a look at each of those systems and say, well, one, can Epic or some other partner do it uh, that we might have? Uh, but also here's, we'll help you analyze what each one does. Right. Uh, you know, like with patient education, we use this one for these types of patients, this one for these types. Well, one can Epic do all of it and get rid of everything. Or uh, this one, uh, we can, you know, let's look at using this one for these patients over here and work very collaboratively with them. So it's not, we're not threatening to take in anything away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not going to sh- have an end date where we're going to shut something off. Uh, that's not the point of it. It's really trying to figure out a path that can we get the five to three to two uh, over a period of time so then we can lock it in. We know when the, uh, when the maintenance is going to be re-upped. Uh, we know which ones we're going to get rid of. We can lock in the savings. Uh, so there's a whole downstream effect to that. But it it's really has to be collaboration. And if you don't have that between your IT group, finance, supply, and the operations side, I mean, it's probably a deeper problem in your organization, but, um, yeah. you know, trying to get this work done, it will be almost impossible. Jeff, do we, do we, can we deal with the political realities here? And can we assume that sometimes Dr. Smith, who's the, the super surgeon and brings a whole bunch of money in and he likes application X and we got to take that into account. We got to deal with reality here and not pretend that that's not a factor in these yeah. issues. Yeah, you're always going to have one-offs, uh, especially in academic. You know, I've, I spent a lot of time in academic medicine. You know, you have that type of approach. They bring in research dollars, things like that. This is their thought. But at least you know about it. You know about it up front. It's, it's not coming to the back door, right? And, and you can manage through it. Maybe eventually you can get that changed into something more standard uh, going forward. Uh, but, yeah, again, it's, it's not an all-or-nothing uh, approach. But again, it's identifying, making sure you know, you know, it's part of our chart here. When I look at, you know, we went from 728 to 628. We have the number, we have 200 that we're, look, we're studying right now. But we have all these listed. We also have the number of pending new apps. They're 22. I'm looking at them right now. Because, you know, it's not like you're stopping business and yeah. moving forward. There's going to be new one. It's that whole process of, of, of managing all of those together and really understanding your new ones coming in too, right? And, and to that point, Anthony, I think, you know, education is a big part of that as well, right? So having someone who can research those applications, compare them, you know, objectively, they're not the one using it necessarily, but they understand the need for the technology and, and what it does, and then sharing their findings with that, that group that's going to make that decision finally, is, you know, that's part of it too. If, if two applications do everything exactly the same, then pick the one that works best, right? Pick the one that people like the most or the one that currently has the most users using it, right? So then you're going to be able to, uh, you know, propagate it through the, through the system. Um, but yeah, and that's, that's extremely important. And then um, back to, you know, making that decision, a, a big part of this is really getting that application catalog to begin with. So if I was a, a new CIO coming into an organization, one of the first things I would want to do is, is embark down this path, not necessarily to start getting rid of things, not, you know, not to be the bad guy coming in and, and whacking systems, but to understand my ecosystem and really get a good picture 
So as Chuck said, then you can start taking little bites out of it. Find the things that are low hanging fruit, work on those. Then when you start showing that ROI of, you know, what you're able to, to do for the organization, then tackle the more political things, because then you have a little more clout, you have a little more data to back that up. And as you attack those political things, you know, sometimes the cheapest option isn't the best option for the organization. Maybe it is that wingding orthopedist that brings in, you know, 30% of the revenue. You, you've got to follow something that he may want to do that may not be the best application, but it's the best solution for the organization because of, you know, his happiness is extremely important. Yeah. And Anthony, just to add that, you know, when you talk about uh, everybody has their favorites, right? Um, and it's hard to break through that sometimes. Well, when you have four or five applications to do the same thing, you might have four or five people that have their fa- Each one of those five is somebody's favorite, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's outside of IT and maybe across different departments. Mm-hmm. So it, it, when I talk about collaboration, sometimes we not only have to go into a single department because that's where the owner of that app is, but we have to cut across departments and bring teams together because you've got five different applications, five different departments but they all essentially do the same thing, mm-hmm. right? So it adds that complexity as well. But it's interesting. You get people meeting themselves, meeting each other for the first time, uh, yeah. working on uh, something that's important to the organization. Very good, Matt. Any yeah. thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, you know, the five going down to one, there's a lot of factors to look at. Obviously, even just the licensing model for each vendor, you know, some of them don't scale up well, some of them do. Um, I do think, you know, also creating a, you know, try to get the IT passion out of the conversation is important. Like what's the, you know, you can give a technical recommendation on this is what's going to work best in our ecosystem. This is the best from a security standpoint. This is the best licensing model that people can make a decision with. That doesn't necessarily mean you're forcing their hand into that software. What we want to do is provide an informed decision for the organizational decision makers if they're going to consolidate down in. Um, otherwise, to the earlier conversation, it ends up being IT pushing, getting down to one, and it's an organizational decision to reduce. Um, uh, you know, I think the other big thing for us real quick would be um, what works well with the rest of our ecosystem. Not all software is around peg and around hole, right? And so that's a huge one for us. Very good. All right, we're going to have a little fun here. We're going to do a little poll, and I think I know how it's going to come out based on this discussion, but let's launch this poll. The prevalence of shadow IT, which is the purchasing of tech outside established channels of governance and approval, makes application rush or app rat, it's easier, makes app rat efforts an exercise in futility. So if you have shadow IT out of control, well, even let's say a normal amount, whatever that is, a normal amount that any organization has. But if you can't get your arms around that, then this is pointless. Maybe I'm, it's overstated. So either you agree or disagree with that statement. Um, and I think that most people are going to agree, but we shall see if I'm right. And then I'll have our, uh, our panelists guess at the results. So um Let's do, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do some final thoughts. Then we're going to come back and we're going to look at the results and have a really good time with that. So um, final thought, best piece of advice for someone in your position, been tasked with, let's say, Chuck, you came in and they said, here's our number. Here's what we're spending. Here's many app, how many apps we have. And you go, whoa, 
that's not that's out of control. They say, well, go take care of it. What's your best piece of advice for the the first steps there? Chuck, we'll start with you. Yeah, so uh, a couple of things. It would be the governance piece. I mean, it's right here in front of us with this question. You've got to fix that. Um, otherwise, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll get some savings because you can go and find those, you know, 50 applications, whatever it is that nobody's using, um, and you'll get them out of the system. That's great. You're going to save some money, security, all that stuff, but you're just going to be flooded with a bunch more. Um, and, you know, it, it's just, uh, uh, you're just going to frustrate the team, I think, uh, by starting something like that. The other thing I think you need to have is two things. One is archiving strategy. We didn't talk about that. You have to have an archiving strategy because the faster you can decommission these apps, the quicker you can get the the, uh, the dollars and get them mm-hmm. off the system, right? So you want to make sure you have an archiving strategy, get the data off into your archiving solution. Uh, in case you need it later, you can always delete it at some point, but you want to save it for a little bit. It might need to be viewable at some time. So you want to have that in place. The other, there's a downstream effect to the app wrap. Uh, we're, we're managed service on the data center side. Uh, so we've an outside company doing our data centers, right? Well, we're spinning down servers, whether virtual servers, whatever they might be. And I've looked at my numbers here. So far, we've decommissioned 43 servers as part of getting rid of those apps, right? So there's a downstream of how much we're paying that managed service provider on a monthly basis. So I wanted to make that, that mm-hmm. point as well. But governance, gosh, I, I, without it, I don't see how you do this. Excellent. Matt, your final thought. Um. You know, I think you need an organizational burning platform and a mandate. If you're ignorable, you're not <laughs> going to make progress. Um, you know, so there has to be a reason people want to pay attention to you. Um, so I think that's for us the biggest thing. And then, you know, the other, I'm going to give two, even though I'm said one, and that would be uh, knowing your renewals on the software you're looking at and your expectations for when that could happen, you know, Every vendor's is different, but you can end up too close to the renewal deadline and on a year, on an extra year of software because you weren't, you didn't start early enough. Um, and so being really aware of all those notifications and what the notification process is, is crucial. That's great stuff. If if you're if you're ignorable, don't even start. <laughs> no, as Chuck was saying, you got to get the CEO on board. That's brilliant. Um, Jeff, your final thought. Yes, I think, you know, it's extremely important to realize that the cost of doing nothing is is high, right? So as an organizational leader, as someone who's looking out for the best interests of your organization, uh, you, you have to take this on. It's it's not easy. It can be a daunting task. Um, you know, as, as Chuck mentioned, you have to gain the the support of senior leadership. You have to gain the support of the clinic, clinical leadership, but I think as you start to do these things and show the ROI, and I know we've said the name of my company a hundred times in this this presentation, <laughs> but when you start to show that ROI, it, it becomes easier to sell it, right? As people start seeing, but we are one of our more recent clients. We have been able to tangibly show about an eight million dollar a year savings from the efforts that we've gone through with them. Now it's a large organization, obviously, but I mean, I don't care how big you are, $8 million a year is, is impactful. And, and that didn't include the, the servers we were able to take out of, you know, spin down or, or take out of service or redeploy. 
Uh, and there were, you know, 50 some odd servers that we were able to, to clean up as well. So again, the cost of doing nothing is high. And as you start to do this, toot your own horn, make sure you're talking about the ROI and the savings you're bringing to the organization. Very good. All right. Let's go back to, to the poll. Uh, Chuck, we're going to start with you. What's your guess as to the results? Give me a percentage, uh, either agree or disagree based on which one you think is predominant there. I'd say agree. I, I, you know, I do, I do agree with Jeff. You got to try at least, but, um, but I would say agree is probably, I don't know, 85%, 85% agree. All right, Matt, what, what do you, what do you, what are you coming up with? Uh, we're going prices, right? Rules here. Yeah. Um, yeah. But all right. I'm going to go 75% agree. 75% agree. Jeff. I hope it's less than 50% agree because we, we as you know, so what I'm seeing is, is less and less of the shadow IT. And that used to be a huge, huge problem. It's still a problem, but we're seeing less and less of it. And even if you agree that it is a contributor to the problem, it doesn't make it futile to go ahead and, and do this process, go through this process. All right. Well, there's the results. And you see them 58% agree. So I don't know who won that. I don't know, Jeff. You didn't even I give remember. it to Jeff. I give it, you to, give it Jeff. to Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, it wasn't you, Chuck. It was between Matt and Jeff. So I'm sorry. But then, if it was Prices Right rules and you go over, then you lose, right? Yeah, Jeff yeah, won. Anthony, Jeff, I'm just Jeff older. won clearly by Prices Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jeff. I'm Good older job. in my career, Anthony. So you know, I don't want to take this on. Being, you know, if I was 20 years younger, I would take this on. But I'm not. I'm not 20 years younger. So. <laughs> well, you still look good, my friend. You're, you. still, you're still kicking kicking butt out there. All right. Um, that is about all we had time for today regarding continuing education. You could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team. You can go to our website to register for upcoming panels. With that, I want to thank this tremendous panel, Chuck Podesta, Matt Everhart, and Jeff Tennant. And I want to thank ROI Healthcare Solutions for sponsoring and you for attending. With that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.